Thank you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you even for giving us the ability to be your children and to just even sing uh, precious songs like that that just remind us that every one of us should have a childlike, teachable heart and spirit as we're before you, realizing that, that uh, you are our master, you are our God, and that we are your learners, your disciples here below, and we have a lot to learn. We realize that you are an awesome God. We just want to exalt you today as every day of our lives. We're going to look into your word again this morning, and we just pray that you would open the eyes of our, our understanding that we might see the great and glorious things that you have for us. Thank you for preserving your word, that we could have it as a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway that would give us the illumination we need for walking through this life as well as providing that light for others that they might see the candle that burns within us by the power and the presence of the, your Holy Spirit. Be with me as your unworthy servant again this morning as we attempt to open your word and share this message together. May each one of us as listeners and learners together grow in the Lord and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's all for your glory. It's all about Jesus. We thank you for him and we ask this in his worthy name. Amen. You can be seated. The disciples noticed a change. Something seemed different about the master, the teacher. It seemed like it was ever since the raising of Lazarus that something was different. He seemed more quiet, more thoughtful. Even a sense of sadness seemed like it had came over him. It seemed like he would talk in riddles. He would talk one moment about being uh, extremely troubled and then the next moment it seemed like he would talk about being glorified. And this was puzzling to them, all these conflicting, uh, not only emotions that came from him, but also the, the conflicting words that seemed to come from his lips. He would talk one moment about his burial and then seemed like in almost the same breath he would talk about being glorified. Now how do you put that together? If you can imagine being one of his disciples and listening to this, being there with him. He talked about being uh, lifted up. What does that mean? What would it mean to be lifted up? What was he talking about? He talked about being betrayed. And again, he would talk about being glorified. I suppose it probably came to a, to a climax as more and more he talked about going away. I'm going away. I'm going to be leaving you. I'm not going to be around any much longer. My time is short. Things like that is what they were hearing. And then it seemed like it came out even clearer that he was going to his father. I'm going back to my father. What did that mean? Where was his father? 
If he would go away, was he coming back? He would talk about coming back, but when? How long would he be gone? Where would he be going to? If we can imagine the, the mix of emotions that must have been going through his, his disciples' minds as he would talk about this. And it was in that setting that he spoke a lot of the words that we have in these accounts that give us the instructions, the promises of the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, let not your hearts be troubled, realizing I'm sure as he looked upon their countenances and saw their furrowed brows, and even maybe, maybe we've sensed tears coming down some of their cheeks as he spoke about going away and how, how close they had felt to him and how, how much they had depended upon him to guide them and to give them direction in their lives. So let not your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So he did have that hope to hang on to. He promised them these promises of the Spirit's coming. He called this Spirit by different names. If you open your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 13, he called him the Spirit of Truth. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will shew you things to come. In verses 14 and 15, He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall shew it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall shew it unto you. Maybe words like this from the Master, the Teacher, would have been somewhat reassuring. At least this gave them something to cling to. That this Comforter, this Spirit of Truth, this Teacher, this Guide, this Reprover of the world, this one that would testify of Jesus would give them some direction for their lives. And remember he said, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. So maybe, just maybe, what Jesus said was true. Maybe it would be better. Although, that still seems hard for us to get our minds around and I think it would be, have been hard for the disciples to get their minds around as well. But if, if this promise is true, that He will shew you things to come, then maybe if His presence isn't here, maybe we can continue on. Maybe life can go on. So this fourth of the five uh, subjects that we have that I've been given is this one in St. John 13, 16, 13, where it says he will show you things to come. The revealer. 
Well, there's some things that we can get from this verse that I think are important for us. I have an idea that as the emotions and the tension of the disciples was building up and, and all these conflicting emotions of fear and uncertainty and all that, they would have held on to these words as well. But he calls him the spirit of truth. And again, he is a promise. We need to think about as we try to understand the ministry, the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit, we need to recognize that he was promised, and these are many promises that are associated with him. When he, the spirit of truth, is come. So he would be a spirit of truth. He would guide them into 100% truth. Anything that the Holy Spirit would speak, anything that the Holy Spirit would predict or say, he would say it with 100% accuracy. He would not be off in any way, in any shape or any form. Exactly right. So when it says he will show you things to come, they could count on this, we can count on this. He is the spirit of truth. Whatever he says, whatever he prophesies, however he does it, it's going to be true, absolute truth. Another thing that we learn here is that he will guide you into all truth. We talked about that some as we talked about him being a teacher and a guide. Guidance into all truth. We can be assured of that. We can count on these things. And I realize that some of this is, is repetitious, but I, I know if your hearts are anything like mine, I need this re repetition, this line upon line, this precept upon precept, because for one thing, the enemy hates these truths and he doesn't want us to remember them. Because if we remember these truths, they are going to direct our lives. They're going to provide power for our lives. And we need that. He will not speak independent of the Father. It says here that he shall not speak of himself. And I, I have thought of that previously, that, that he wouldn't point to himself. He wouldn't uh, draw attention to himself. And that's true. But I really don't think that this verse, or this part of this verse, is really saying that as much as it is saying that he will not speak anything independent of God the Father and God the Son. What he speaks is totally sanctioned by and in agreement in the, within the Holy Trinity. He will not speak totally of himself. In other words, he doesn't have his own agenda that's independent of the agenda of God the Father and God the Son. It's important for us to remember that as we think about guidance and teaching and instruction and prophecies and promises and him showing us things to come. All that coming from the Godhead 100% sanctioned by the Holy Trinity. He has the knowledge of things that are shared in the Holy Trinity. And the Spirit clearly is commissioned to reveal future things. So with that somewhat of a foundation or a, a basis for our understanding of this ministry of the Holy Spirit as he is a revealer of the future, a revealing of things to come. We can move forward with this firm assurance that everything that we know about the future in the Bible has came to us by and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Everything.
because we understand clearly that the Bible from cover to cover is the inspired Word of God. We can't just pick and choose and say, well, this part was inspired and this part was not. We get into a whole lot of trouble, and I think that's where a whole lot of churches are today, is that they say that the Bible contains the Word of God. And that is not right. That is a lie. That is some of that deceptive philosophy, that empty philosophy that we heard about last night. The Bible is the Word of God. From cover to cover, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So everything that we know about future things in the Bible is by and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Another interesting thing is that every New Testament writer revealed future things. So obviously he had to be guided by, directed by, showed by the Holy Spirit these things to come. Some of these things would fall into the category of eschatology, a system of doctrines and, and teachings that relate to last things, how things are going to finally wrap up, how the study of end things, future things, all that is under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. So how will things wrap up? We understand that really we're, we are in a sense, we are players in the midst of a great cosmic battle. It began back in the, in the beginning or back in the time when the Lucifer said, I will. And he had all those other I wills that was in rebellion against the Creator God. And in doing so, the great cosmic battle began. And here we are right in the middle of it. So how will it all end? What's going to happen? Who's going to win? Who's going to be victorious? These answers are provided to us in, by, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What a tremendous blessing that we have in that. He as the Holy Spirit's ministry as a revealer of in things, a revealer of the future, we'll say, clearly demonstrates God's sovereignty overall. So how can we know that God is going to win? How can we know that that? That truth will triumph over evil and over untruth, over lies. How can we know that? It is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. He's going to show us what's going to happen. He's going to show us that we are on the winning team. Praise God that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give us that assurance within us as well as within His Word that God is sovereign. That God's plan will not be thwarted. And that we indeed are on the winning team. We're going to turn to some scriptures as we uh, attempt to apply some of this and see uh, how does this play out in the, in the early church as the, uh, those that were Initially in the early church as, they, as Pentecost began or as the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was poured down. The church had its beginnings. How does this play out of this ministry of the Holy Spirit as He would show them things to come? Let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 16. 
One of the ways in which the Holy Spirit's ministry of showing things to come is implemented is in taking the previous prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies, and allowing Christ's disciples who were now without their leader, their master, their teacher here in person, aiding them and assisting them in putting the pieces of the puzzle together. You see, they had these, these pieces of the puzzle in the Old Testament, those prophecies, as holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, recorded in the, the Old Testament scriptures. They had those, but where do those pieces of the puzzle fit in light of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, but only living here for 33 years and then leaving? How does that play out? The Holy Spirit is instrumental, was instrumental in that as well. Chapter 1 of Acts. Um, it was after Judas's betrayal of our Lord and that uh, the disciples were together. And beginning in verse 15 of Acts 1, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture, what scripture? Something that he saw in the Old Testament. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled. He saw a scripture back in the Old Testament that pointed to something that they had experienced. And this is just tremendously exciting. I mean, it just, it just shows again and again that God's word is, is absolutely true. God's word is complete. God's word is infallible. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas which was guide to them that took Jesus. So Peter recognized that the Holy Ghost spake through David in one of the Psalms. And so he began to, uh, he was referring to that, that Psalm as he quoted this, as he mentioned this. And so this gave them some direction in the early church for finding a replacement for Judas. And so they took action on that as they began to work in the early church. So when we think about the Holy Spirit uh, having a ministry of showing them things to come, it among those things was, was taking pieces of the puzzle from the Old Testament and making the application in the time frame in which they were living. What a blessing they had with that. So that's just one example of how previous prophecies uh, were aided uh, by putting pieces of the puzzle together. Let's turn back to the last chapter of Acts, but it's not the last because I told you there was 29 chapters in, in Acts, and there is, but you are the 29th chapter of Acts. I hope you realize that. But in Acts 28, verses 25 through 27, There was a, uh, the context here is, is Paul's witness in Rome. Remember, he was there in Rome in his old, own hired house for, for three years, uh, usually chained to a, a, a one or two Roman uh, guards. And uh, it says that uh, uh, his, while he was there, he was preaching, of course, and, and uh, some believed and some believed not as the twenty. Fourth verse says, Some believe the things which were spoken, 
and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. And after that, Paul had spoken one word. And he says this, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understanding, understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So Paul was again taking pieces of the puzzle from the Old Testament in Isaiah's prophecy, and saying, this fits. This is exactly right. Isaiah was right as he wrote under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. He was right. This is exactly what Isaiah said as Paul quotes it here. And sure enough, some believed and some didn't believe. The people's hearts were wax gross. Their eyes were closed so that they couldn't see. Their ears were closed so that they couldn't hear. And he could not, God could not heal them. So they were putting pieces of this puzzle together under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to go on to uh, some mysteries revealed by the Spirit. When we think about the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. Uh, mysteries in the Bible are, are things that were previously concealed but now revealed. And there are a lot of them. It's a tremendously interesting study. It's been a while since I studied it. I really never did get completely through all the mysteries. I can't even tell you how many mysteries there are. But there are a number of them. Depending on who you... If you uh, read after some commentators, some will lump some together and, and uh, maybe under the same heading. At any rate, the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher to aid us in even studying things like the mysteries that are in the Bible. And it calls them mysteries. I had a lot of scriptures that I printed out just to get a, a little bit of a grasp in my own mind of, of uh, the number of them. But let's just follow through a few of them. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Everybody seems like they enjoy a mystery. Well, I don't know about you, but back in, when I was a boy growing up, I had Hardy Boys mystery stories. And, and usually when I would have a Hardy Boys, get a new Hardy Boys mystery, I think. Now, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to really enjoy this book by just, just reading just one chapter and then put the book down and not read on to the next one. And, and I won't just read this thing all at once. And, and then I'll, I'll have more reading material. And sure enough, every time you get to the end of chapter 1, and the way that ends, well, you can't stop there. And so you go on into chapter 2. And, and then, well, you can't stop at the end of chapter 2 because it just leaves you hanging there. And you keep on going. And before you know it, yeah, that book is just read. You set it down and, well, okay. So I guess you better go out and buy a new Hardy Boys book. How's it going to end? What's it all about? Who's going to win? Things like that. Well, let's look at this mystery. Ephesians chapter 3. 
I think I'll begin reading in verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there again we have a, a, a blessed passage of Scripture written by the pen of the Apostle Paul to show us that there was things that were previously concealed. He says, in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And so we just want to bless and praise God that we're living in the age that he has revealed these mysteries to us. What a blessing it is to, to now be in the age when those things that were previously concealed are now revealed. And he again says unto us, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that person of the Godhead that has the ministry of teaching and guiding and testifying of Jesus and reproving the world and as we're considering it today to show you things to come. So what is that mystery? Well, I believe he explains it here. In my simple way of understanding, when I see the word that, as the verse 6 begins, I think that it must be referring back to what he had spoken earlier. And so the mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. That mystery that was concealed before was that God would take the Jew and then the Gentiles, all other nations, and out of that make one body. One body. Paul writes in Ephesians about, about that enmity that did exist between Jew and Gentile. And how he has taken that and put that together in one body. One group. One Doesn't matter what your color of your skin is, where you're from, what your nationality, or even what age you lived in, what time period. Taking all that and make, putting that together in one body, which is His church. And we're, the, we're a part of that. We are His church. We are His people. We are indwelt by that Spirit. We are His body. We are the fingers and the hands and the feet and the arms and the legs and the mouth and the tongue of Jesus. What a tremendous blessing that is. That mystery of the Jew and Gentile being one in Christ. Let's read on. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. We could go on. It would just be a temptation just to keep expanding on those verses, but we want to continue on. Let's, let's look at another mystery. Uh, let's go back into Colossians where we were last night. 
Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse um, 23. Appreciated the message last night and, and uh, these verses. Matter of fact, Colossians is one of my favorite. If you can have favorites in the New Testament, it's one of my favorite. So he writes in verse 23, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So there's that mention of the, the body of Christ, which is the church again. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Again, how is this mystery now made manifest to his saints? It is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He revealed it to Paul. Paul wrote it in his letter to, the, to Colossae. And it's been preserved for us today. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Let's just say that together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is just awesome to think about. Do we have any question at all in our minds now as far as why Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. It is expedient for you that I go away. I think again, Part of the humiliation of Jesus Christ was seeing needs over here in this village, over in that village, in this, down this street, and down that street. Seeing needs that, that needed to be met. Not only the physical needs, he went about healing and doing good, but even more important than the physical healing that they needed was to have the gospel preached unto them. And he was limited there came a time each evening when he had to shut it down. Just like you get tired at night, Jesus got tired at night and he couldn't keep on preaching 24-7, 365. But he says, it's better for you that I go away. And that's exactly what we have today is the body of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Multiplied. Not thousands, but probably millions of times down through the ages. His very life duplicated, replicated over and over again in disciple after disciple, one disciple after another. Praise God for His marvelous plan of salvation. Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, the last part of the the second chapter of Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ. This is kind of a mystery to me, you know, how he can say, I am crucified with Christ, and yet Christ died years before that. 
But I think he was encompassing the, the work of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection all in one, in one package that includes all ages. Those, even in Old Testament times, that look forward by faith to the perfect sacrifice on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for them it was future. For Paul it was past. But yet, when you ever stop and think about why Isaiah wrote the 53rd chapter in past, present, future tense, it just seems like he just gets all mixed up with those tenses. And that, that's really the way the, the, the actual, we'll say the crucifixion, well, I want to say it this way, that's the way the, the whole feature of the cross which includes, that's our package, that's our label that we put on Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, this cross. We ha have a song, All the light of sacred story gathered around its head sublime. sublime. He, that cross is the focal point, whether you are past, present, or future. So Paul could, could say, I am crucified with Christ. It happened back when Christ was crucified, but it is a present experience as well. A daily thing that happens in his life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But what does he say? Christ liveth in me. Let's say that together. Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. We need these things embedded deeply in our hearts. We need to believe it. The enemy shouts daily. Sometimes he whispers, oh, you're not really a child of God. You see what you just did a few moments ago? And you think Christ lives in you? Lies. Don't believe them. We have the Word of God to base our faith and our hope upon. Mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's continue on. We want to consider um, precious promises revealed because as we think about uh, not only was the Old Testament prophets uh, guided and superintended by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, but we have many promises in the scriptures, promises of Jesus, some things that he said that, that weren't actually fulfilled at that moment and so they would be future promises, promises for us to claim in the church age today. Matter of fact, Peter writes about these, and he said, he writes about exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might, might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What are some of those exceeding great and precious promises? We can count on the fact that whatever they are, the Holy Spirit was instrumental in bringing them to us on the pages of Holy Scripture and preserving them for us today. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. I think I'll break in here in uh, probably verse, verse 8. He's talking about the wisdom of God. 
Here's a, that, that word mystery in verse 7. The wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's kind of a mystery in itself, isn't it? If the princes of this world knew uh, some of these things, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord, but yet God used that lack of knowledge to allow them to crucify the Lord so that he could die on the cross and be our Savior. Verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now that is a quotation from Isaiah 64. Yesterday we shared a little bit from the first part of Isaiah 64, which was that, that woodsman's prayer that he prayed sometime before Mount St. Helens erupted. But that Isaiah 64 goes on, and this is some of the things that Isaiah was writing. That I have not seen nor ear heard. It's things that, that would say, think like, it must be hard to even comprehend if the eye hasn't seen it and the ear hasn't heard it. But yet God has prepared things for them that love Him. But what does Paul say here? What does Paul write in verse 10? He's got that little word but there. It seems to me like something has changed from the time that Isaiah wrote that back in the 64th chapter. Something has changed. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Praise God that the Holy Spirit is the revealer of these truths. The things that were concealed before are now revealed. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what, thing, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Getting back to some of the things that John Michael shared with us the other day about that, that very innermost part of man and the part that, that knows things. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And that, among other things, that word freely there means without a cause. God didn't have any cause or reason. It's, it's something that flows from God's nature, not because of something that, that is inherent in us or, or that we have merit or deserving. Freely given to us of God is apart from any merit on our part. So we have received the Spirit which is of God. We have that Spirit which is of God to know the things that are given to us of God. We spent a little bit of time with this in the early uh, first message, I believe, when we talked about teaching. I think it's good to review it again since we're here. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in contrast to that which man's wisdom teacheth, beware, remember what we heard last night, lest any man spoil you, beguile you. 
We don't want the things which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And we have that mind of Christ because we have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us. We're thankful for that great blessing. This a lot could be said about this passage of scripture here. But I suppose the thing that I wanted to get out of here the most is to understand that the Holy Spirit is the revealer of things that are freely given to us of God and the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. So that means that in a sense we're on a, a, uh, a treasure hunt here. I mean, we've got a package that God has prepared for them that love Him that we need to go searching for and finding out what God has for us. Is it possible that we've only seen the tip of the iceberg of what God has for them that love Him? Is it possible that as we think about uh, going in different directions, let's just think about spiritual gifts for a moment. We're talking about the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. You know, I mean, that could just go so many different directions. But among the things that God has prepared for them that love Him is gifts. Things that He gives to each one of us as members of His body to enhance that body and make it a functional body in a local church district or ch local church setting. What a blessing that is. Do we, have we fully explored that? It's among those things that God has prepared for them that love Him. What about even our understanding, putting it down to a, an individual basis? Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him, but God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Is it possible that there's a depth of searching and understanding of God that we haven't on an individual basis even begun to explore yet. What is Jesus' great passion for His people? He has a great passion for His people that they would have eternal life. And then He goes about and defines what eternal life is. He says, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. How much do we know God? How much do we know God? How much do we really know Him? How much of that is our passion to know Him more? It's among those things that the Holy Spirit is available to search our hearts, to reveal unto us, and to bring us more of the things that are freely given to us of God. The list could go on. I think I need to move on here. Um, Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, the first part of this uh, third chapter of 2 Corinthians was the area where we picked up on for kind of a subtitle for this message, uh, messages of the glorious ministry of the Spirit. So Paul was writing about that. How much more shall the ministration of the Spirit be glorious? You know, one of the things that makes it glorious is that the Spirit just keeps on a-chugging in your life and mine. He just keeps on working. He keeps on uh, developing. Let's just look at the uh, uh, 17th verse of 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, or as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That verse really isn't all that complex. It's just simply saying this, that as we behold in a glass or a mirror, and we can use the Word of God as a mirror if we want to, we behold the glory of the Lord we see it there, and as we behold His glory, the Holy Spirit has a work of sanctification in our lives. Progressive sanctification. Developing us day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, into what? Into that finished product. The image of Jesus Christ. That's His goal. That's what He's after. Is developing us just simply making us look like Jesus, done by the Spirit of the Lord. We keep, keep on looking into His Word, keep on focusing upon Christ, the model, the example, and the Holy Spirit will, will continue to do His work of developing Christ in your life and mine. There is an increasing glory. Notice it says that are changed into the same image from glory to glory, we're going to get into this a little bit more tomorrow, Lord willing. From glory to glory, there is an ever-increasing glory in your life, brother and sister. Do you believe that? That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to believe. Is that anything to become lifted up or proud about? That humbles us. I mean, that just... God, why would you take this temple of clay and decide by your Spirit to do a work in that that makes me day by day look more and more like your son. I don't deserve that. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Talks in the first part of this about groaning, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. You see this is, see where this has taken us? I didn't realize this when I put this together in my notes, but we're talking about even groaning uh, because of this body that longs to be released from this tabernacle of clay and, and being changed f fully and totally and absolutely when it is glorified uh, totally to be like Him. So we groan as... Uh, the second verse of this chapter says, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Now look, jump down to verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for this selfsame thing is God, 
who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. I might have mentioned this earlier, but it's that down payment. It's that deposit. The earnest of the Spirit is deposit money. It's like when you go out and buy a piece of property, you make a deposit on it that you're going to follow through with the transaction. If everything else works out, you're serious about this. You're going to follow through. God is serious about this as well, and He's given us the earnest of the Spirit. We're talking about precious promises revealed. This is some of the promises that Jesus gave before He left, promises regarding the Holy Spirit. Indeed, what a blessing it is to see them revealed to us. Let's go to our memory chapter, Romans 8. Glean a little bit from that. We'll look at uh, verses 18 through 23. This chapter is such a blessing as it mentions the Holy Spirit uh, so many times in uh, this passage. And, and uh, verse 16, how it bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Just again, that, that reassurance that... I'm not sure how to describe it. Is it a feeling? Yes. Is it an emotion? Yes. Uh, but it's based on fact. It's based on the Word of God. So at times when, when uh, we don't feel like it, we can still look back there and say, well, I know, Holy Spirit, I know you're in there somewhere. Just bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Maybe I didn't act like it a little bit ago. Uh, bear witness with my spirit. Verse 18, heading in my Bible, in this passage says, The Spirit assures us of future glory. For I reckon, and that reckon isn't, I, I wonder, I guess, maybe, I reckon. No, it is a positive statement that he's making when he uses the word reckon. I am counting on this. It's, it's actually an accounting term. You know, the, the numbers have to balance on the, on the balance sheet there. Paul's saying this balances. This is real. I reckon this to be true. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So you want to get a scales out here and you want to put the sufferings of this present time on this side of the scales, the balance scales, and the glory that shall be revealed in us on the other side, Paul says, don't even bother. They're not worthy to be compared. It's almost an insult to even attempt to put them on the scales or compare them. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There is a future glory that God has for His children. These are part of the exceeding great and precious promises that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us on the printed page and as the Spirit bears witness with our spirit in our hearts that we are children of God. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're waiting for that, for that full and, and uh, absolute and perfect development of the sons of God into the image of of Christ. 
I think I'll read on here. I won't expound on it much. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature, that's us, the creation also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is future glory, brothers and sisters. This is what we are groaning for, we are longing for. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, but not only the whole creation. You see, all of creation was marred and scarred by the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. All of creation is experiencing the, the, uh, uh, the setbacks, I'll say, for one of another term uh, as a result of that sin in the garden. But he says, not only the whole creation groans, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Again, something similar to the uh, earnest of the Spirit. The first fruits are an indication that something yet is to follow. There's going to be more coming yet. And the harvest is going to be great. It's going to be bountiful. This is only a small sampling of the bountiful harvest of the, the redemption when we are changed. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I need to move on. It's just one more passage that gives us that assurance of future glory. Those precious promises that are revealed by the Spirit. I think the... Uh, Last place I want to take you is uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And it goes on and says, And everyone that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as He is pure. You see, that assurance of future glory that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is is what motivates us that's that hope that motivates us to be like him for we shall see him as he is how many more minutes do I have okay I think I can, I think I can do this in five minutes let's go back to Genesis chapter 24 there was a man that was given an awesome task. He had a master that was extremely wealthy. Probably one of the wealthiest men that lived on the earth at that day. This master had a problem. This master was getting old. And he didn't have a child. Where's all this wealth going to go? Who's going to inherit this wealth? And so this master brings his servant to him and in a very, um, a very intimate way, they are together and he makes this, this, this very wealthy man makes this servant swear by something. I want you to swear to me that you will do this. And here's what he's supposed to do. He says, I want you to go to this other nation, this other country. I want you to go there and I want you to find a wife, a bride for my son. You see, he had this son, this son of promise. 
And he needed someone for that son to marry. So he sent this servant. And this servant went to this other country. And I want to read you just a little bit of what he took with him. It says, you can read this in Genesis chapter 24. And verse 10, this servant, after he had sworn that he would do something, he would go and find a bride. The servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. You know the story. You know how this uh, Eleazar went. He prayed a prayer. God direct me to find this bride for Isaac. Direct me to find a bride for him. He did. He answered his prayers. And he explained as he met with Rebecca's family, he uh, explained uh, his mission. And one of the things that he did was this. If I can find it in my notes here. Look at the 22nd verse. As he, he met with this, this uh, they, was the, they were watering the camels. In verse 22 it says, It came to pass as the camels had done drinking. This is when Rebekah had, had watered his camels for him and he thought, this, this, is, this looks to me like things are coming together here in answer to his prayer. It came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. And so what he did was he enticed uh, Rebecca with just showing just a little bit of this wealth of his master Abraham. And then he goes on and we go on into 35. You'll have to fill in the gaps as you read through the story if you haven't read through it um, recently. So now he's meeting with Rebecca's family. And he's telling what his mission is there for to find a bride for his master who is extremely wealthy and yet he only has this one son. Verse 35 it says, And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, men servants and maidservants, camels and asses. And so what he's doing is he's just exploding, exploring or explaining even more about the wealth that his master has. Again, to allow this Rebekah to see the benefits of going and becoming a bride for Isaac rather than staying in her native land. Hope you start to get the message here. Get the picture. She could have stayed there in her homeland. But there is a promise. There's a promise that if you marry this, this son, this only son of Abraham, there's a promise that you are going to be wealthy. There's a promise that you are going to have all of his wealth. You're going to inherit that. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed not only materially, but you're going to be blessed by the God of heaven by joining up with this man. And so they did. 
Rebecca, the story goes on, but I want to just read one more point here. Look at verse 53. Uh, as they continue to make a, a uh, get closer to an agreement of Rebecca's father, agreeing that yes, she could go and she could be the, the uh, bride of uh, Isaac. Um, they agreed to that. In verse 52 it says, And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And so on. The story goes on. But the, the lesson that I got out of this in this recent reading of it was that here's a little bit of a glimpse of the wealth of Abraham. And then here's a little larger glimpse of the wealth of Abraham. And then finally, there's all this stuff that he brings out. Jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and all this. The point is, this is a very beautiful type and very beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Abraham's servant, Eleazar, is a type of the Holy Spirit. He's seeking a bride. He was seeking a bride for Isaac. And he's got a lot of wealth there. And that's some of the things that we've seen today are just a little glimpse. It's just like we brought out a, a little earring here and a little wedge of gold there, a little bit of silver, and just kind of showed you a little bit about that. The Holy Spirit is doing that. That's His ministry, is to continue to open and, and develop before our eyes and to develop our faith and to understanding that this is just a little bit of it. Another interesting thing that I think it's a blessing to realize is that same servant that Abraham sent down to Mesopotamia to find a bride for Isaac brought her all the way back, all the way through the desert and delivered her safely in the very presence of Isaac. She lit off of her camel and became his wife. I hope we see the story. I hope God can bless us with an understanding of the glorious ministry of the Spirit as we see even in an Old Testament type, how God is trying to find a bride for Isaac. God is trying to find a bride for His Son. And we can have the glorious blessing of being that bride for Jesus Christ.